Hello and welcome to the February edition of In Conversation With, the Lancet HIV's podcast. I'm Peter Hayward, Editor-in-Chief, and in this episode, I will be speaking to Salome Kuchikidze of McGill University Department of Epidemiology, Biostatistics and Occupational Health in Montreal, Canada, and Francisco Mbafana of the National AIDS Council in Maputo, Mozambique. They're going to be talking to me about their study on the effects of intimate partner violence on women's risk of HIV acquisition and engagement in the HIV treatment and care cascade. This study has been published online and is included in our February issue. Before we get to Salome and Francisco, I'd like to draw your attention to a couple of other pieces in this issue. In a comment, Laura Waters has summarised evidence presented on long-acting cabotegravir at last year's HIV Glasgow conference. And in the research section of the journal, authors from Latin America report findings on PrEP implementation in men who have sex with men and transgender women in the IMPREP study. But now to the interview with Salome and Francisco. Hello there, Salome. Hello. And hello, Francisco. Hello. Hi there. Thank you both so much for joining me today. So we're talking today about this, uh, your paper that has recently been published online in the Lancet HIV and is included in our February issue. And as you point out in the introduction of your paper, there is a long history of research into links between intimate partner violence and HIV. I wonder if you could give us a little bit of the background about that research and our understanding of this topic and how intimate partner violence influences HIV outcomes. Thank you, Peter, and thank you for having us today. Um, You're correct. Uh, Our work builds on decades of existing work regarding the links between intimate partner violence and HIV. Among others, two longitudinal studies from sub-Saharan Africa addressed this issue and found that women who experience intimate partner violence are more likely to acquire HIV. Cross-sectional studies as well by Harling and Durval used population-based surveys similarly to us. Um, And the letter showed that women who experience intimate partner violence in their lifetime are more likely to be living with HIV. And there are a few biological and behavioral mechanisms which could explain intimate partner violence and how it contributes to HIV and HIV outcomes. First and foremost, the most direct pathway of HIV transmission uh, could be due to um, uh, IPV, and sexual assault such that transmission is facilitated by the trauma that accompanies unwanted sex. And second is is an indirect pathway. Intimate partner violence could have adverse mental health consequences among the survivors. And this in turn could have consequences such as women having concurrent sexual partnerships, substance use while having sex, and increased participation um, in transactional sex, which might facilitate HIV acquisition among women. And third, and likely an important pathway, is that male perpetrators of intimate partner violence might be more likely to be living with HIV. And there is some evidence that shows that men who perpetrate intimate partner violence might have a higher number of concurrent sexual partners, more likely to consume alcohol, less likely to use condoms, which could facilitate HIV acquisition in men and subsequent transmission to their female intimate partners. In the same vein, the experience of physical or sexual intimate partner violence or both is often accompanied by emotional abuse or controlling behaviors and, in general, inequitable power dynamics within the relationship. So women might be less empowered to negotiate condom use or generally circumstances around sex, 
further increasing the risk of HIV acquisition. And in terms of the link between intimate partner violence and women's engagement in HIV treatment cascade, so testing, um, antiretroviral uptake, and viral suppression, evidence is a bit less, it, it a bit more sparse uh, from Sub-Saharan Africa. Though we have evidence um, from a review by Letty and colleagues, which showed that women who experience intimate partner violence might be less likely to get tested HIV, possibly due to male controlling behaviors, as I mentioned, that often accompany IPV. Others even showed higher rates of HIV testing among women, uh, and the latter could be due to higher perceived uh, risk among women who might be experiencing IPV. And uh, last but not least, um, a meta-analysis also showed that women who experience IPV might be less likely to be on antiretroviral treatment and adhere to treatment, which could, of course, then adversely affect viral load suppression. Women who experience IPV are often disproportionately affected by depression, anxiety, and other poor mental health, which could um, be sort of on the pathway between intimate partner violence and church um, viral uptake. So in short, the relationships uh, are very complex and, and multifaceted. Yeah, that really is a, sort of a complex web of, of different factors there that very clearly laid out. Thank you very much, Saleh. I guess next, I mean, yeah, following on from that, really, our readers, I think, are, are very familiar with sort of the high burden of HIV in certain parts of sub-Saharan Africa. But how prevalence is intimate partner violence and what factors contribute to this prevalence and also uh, you know how does this how does that situation how does prevalence vary across across the region yeah unfortunately the burden of ipv is huge globally and in sub-saharan africa a 2018 global analysis by sardinia and colleagues showed that worldwide sub-Saharan Africa is among the highest prevalence of IPV. One in three women in sub-Saharan Africa region has experienced IPV in their lifetime, and one in five have experienced in the last in the past year. Within the region, there is some heterogeneity. Central and Eastern Africa of sub-Saharan Africa have the highest estimates, 44% and 38% of lifetime IPV prevalence, respectively. This is followed by certain, uh, certain sub-Saharan Africa and Western sub-Saharan Africa with one in four women, 27% having experienced the IPV in their lifetime. In terms of contributing factor, to this body, it has been shown that countries that are low income and middle income have higher prevalence than high income countries. Interlinked social, economic, and the political factor could explain this observation among the correlate of IPV, include but not limited to political conflict, why the conflict in the surrounding community might normalized violence within the household. Financial constraint, economic, economic insecurity, and unemployment due to economic downturns might increase the tension between the traditional and modern gender roles. Thus, contributing 
contributing to IPV, for example, increase the status of women thinking on the role of primary earner versus men perception of loss of power and authority. Second, national family literacy rates and gender equitable economic and educational rights. Countries where women have the right to freely choose and strive for higher education attainment, choose profession or employment without partner consent, have lower IPV prevalence. High education attainment and literacy also empower women to live abusive relationship and to be economically independent subsequently. Natural gender inequitable norms in the community and society justification or acceptance of domestic violence is linked with IPV. Aligned with this stigma associated with the living abusive relation might prevent women from taking this step. And finally, at a macro level, discriminatory family laws and inadequate support service for women who experience violence can be correlated of can be correlated of IPV and disempower women from living abusive relation to succeed if they do so, according to the report from Sardinia 2018. Thank you very much for that. That's uh, some some savouring numbers there. And I think with that with that excellent background from from you both, I think we can now sort of come on to your study. And I wonder if you could explain to me what what would you say was the the aim of your study? Um, thank you. So just to set the stage, previous studies, both prospective and cross sectional, that I referenced a couple of minutes ago have often focused on a single country, a specific population, or focused on HIV serum prevalence rather than the full spectrum of how intimate partner balance affects women's engagement in HIV care. So to address these gaps, our goal was to use nationally representative surveys from Sub-Saharan Africa that contain biomarker-based HIV outcome measures to estimate the effects, uh, effects of past year physical or sexual intimate partner violence, or both, on four outcomes of interest. So these were recent HIV infection, HIV testing in the past year, antiretroviral uptake, and viral load suppression. And in this way, we're hoping to improve uh, the general understanding around the associations between women's experience of intimate partner violence, HIV acquisition, and, and of course, engagement um, with the prevention and treatment cascade. Great, thank you. And now, and you touched on it there. I think one of the um, one of the fascinating things for me about this this research is the the data sources that you have access to and that you bring together to to address address the questions that you set out to answer. I wonder if you can explain sort of what data sources you used and how you went went about identifying the relevant data and bringing them together. Thank you. Um, it was indeed a, a huge effort on behalf of our team, the co-authors, to compile all of our data sources. 
Uh, in fact, we reviewed all available nationally representative cross-sectional population-based surveys from Sub-Saharan Africa, and this was between uh, 2000 and 2020. And all of our uh, data sources had individual participant data on both intimate partner violence and HIV. And in this process, we searched through data catalogs, such as Global Health Data Exchange, which is essentially a comprehensive repository uh, of surveys and other health related data created and supported by Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, so IHME. Mm -hmm. We also looked at International Household Survey Network, another central data catalog with metadata on surveys and censuses from low and middle income countries. And to supplement our search, we examined surveys included in the Global Estimates for Balancing Against Women's Statistics Systematic Review that I think we've referenced the results from a couple of times already in our conversation. And of course, um, expert knowledge regarding data availability uh, from our co-authors and beyond. Um, the survey types that we included at the end of the day were DHS, so Demographic and Health Surveys, um, PIA, Population Health Impact Assessment, and uh, South Africa National HIV Prevalence, Incidence, Behavior, and Communication Survey, which is a mouthful. Um, overall, our analysis included 57 surveys from 30 countries and over 280,000 uh, unique respondents. And whenever we pulled diverse data sources, of course, the issues of measurements might arise, but our measurements of intimate partner balance are generally consistent uh, across surveys or surveys uh, used gold standard act specific instrument, which is based on the modified conflict tactics scale to collect information. And in terms of the outcomes, um, all except for past year HIV testing for, for us were biomarker-based. In fact, HIV acquisition was measured using lag avidity assays. Um, in this case, we are still using cross-sectional surveys still, but this test essentially identifies women who would have acquired HIV four to five months prior to survey administration. Mm -hmm. And antiretroviral uptake and viral suppression were also biomarker-based um, outcomes and, and measured at the time of survey administration. Great. I, thank you. I, th I think it's amazing that all these data are available there for for people to to answer these to sort of answer these questions. I think it's sort of fascinating what an age we live in where where people have access to this information. Absolutely. So, I mean, we already talked about sort of some of the background research that that's looking at HIV and intimate partner violence. So, in reference to to the study published in the Lancet HIV, what would you say are the most important novel findings? Sure. We we found that women who had experienced physical or sexual intimate partner violence in the past year were over three times as likely to acquire a recent HIV infection as those who had not experienced intimate partner violence in the past year. Although the effect of intimate partner violence on intratrial uptake was inconclusive in adjusted analyses, in crude estimates, women experiencing IPV were less likely to be on intratrials. And finally, women living with HIV who experienced physical or sexual IPV were 9% less likely to be virally suppressed. Um, and this suggests that IPV could have important adverse effects on HIV epidemics and could possibly contribute to HIV acquisition risks and decrease viral suppression. And you are correct. Yes, we, we, we went over uh, the research, a breadth of existing research looks at uh, HIV and intimate partner violence. 
Um, though I, our, our study is one of the first to date that examines the entire treatment cascade from HIV testing to uptake and viral suppression, while at the same time using biomarker-based outcome measures when available, so, so except for HIV testing. Um, and of course, we are leveraging the biomarker-based recent HIV infection assays, so also known as lag avidity assays, as a proxy of HIV incidence in lieu of HIV prevalence, which sort of allows us to address the temporality between the experience of IPV in the past year and HIV acquisition in our analysis. And um, one thing to note is that in our sensitivity analysis, we also describe male partner characteristics of currently cohabiting women. So women who are living with male partners at the time of survey administration. And here we looked at male HIV status, male partner alcohol use and condom use. Um, and in our crude estimates, we didn't really notice that much of a difference in terms of male HIV status comparing women who had experienced intimate partner violence um, in the past year to those who had not. But previously, very few, if any, had accounted for male partner characteristics uh, while exploring the relationships between IPV and, and HIV. Um, and of course, we, as, as you mentioned, we have a large sample size and, and we are using population-based surveys that luckily use the, the robust and standardized methods to collect information. So hopefully this mitigates some of the challenges associated um, with, with other work. Mm -hmm. So how then do you think that your findings should be used to inform inform future programs and policy in sort of helping to tackle HIV. And then is there anything that people working on HIV can do to help address issues of intimate partner violence? Uh, thanks, Pete. Uh, we certainly hope that our work will, will have the implication for HIV prevention and care deliver in a high burden setting like Mozambique. Our work highlights the need of prevention efforts to decrease the risk of HIV acquisition among women who have experienced or who are at the risk for IPV. Interventions that provide HIV knowledge, condom use, and safer sex negotiation skill have been found effective previously and remain important to be implemented. At more micro scale, IPV focused intervention can be aimed at clinic and service delivery level. For example, healthcare provider training could include topics to allow patients to safely disclose their experience of IPV in a cultural sensitive manner. This could also help identify women at a higher risk of disengagement from HIV care. The emerging patient-focused HIV service delivery platform, also known as differentiated service delivery models, mm -hmm. could incorporate women-only community adherence group or self community-based medication pickup points, or other flexible women-centered methods of HIV, of antiretroviral access. This could help women for whom the, the experience of IPV is a barrier to access and the adherence to 
HIV treatment. Finally, HIV prevention intervention could be developed and implemented at community and structural levels, not only at individual level, given that most of the HIV, uh, IPV and HIV pathways shown in the literature center around gender inequitable norms and power differential within the relationship. Okay, well, Over. thank you very much for, for that. Um, thank you, Salome and Francisco, both for, for joining me today to discuss your study. It's been really fascinating to hear a bit more about it. And, um, and yeah, thank you both very much. Thank you for having us. For more on this topic, I'd like to point you to the review in our February 2022 issue by Nabila El-Bassel and colleagues on the intertwined epidemics of intimate partner violence and HIV among key populations of women. That's it from me for this month. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and make sure you join us next month when we'll continue the conversation. <laughs>